0: maybe it's more important for you to have shared that moment with someone or shared that time with friends and maybe that's nourishing for your soul. Maybe the food that you're eating wasn't nourishing from your body, but you're nourishing yourself in a different way. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavalletta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast this week. I'm currently recording this from a cottage up north of Toronto, we're just on the south side of Algonquin Park. It's quite a tradition for people from Toronto to come up north to a cottage on the weekends in the summer. It's so interesting, it always seems like a mass hiatus from the city on Friday afternoons as everybody flocks up north to the cottages to get on the water, get on boats, get away from the city for a little bit. So Eric and I like to take part in that tradition when his schedule allows at least once a year. So we made a little last minute trip this weekend and we're already having a blast. Molly, our golden retriever, is also having a blast swimming up a storm. We can't keep her out of the water. It's the cutest thing. In the podcast episode this week, we're doing something a little bit different. I convinced Eric to take my spot as host, and we did a little mailbox episode. So it was more of a Q&A format where we took questions that listeners had sent in. He chose which ones he wanted to ask, and I answered those questions on this episode. I think this is a fun one because you get to hear a lot more from me in this episode. And Eric did an amazing job hosting. It was fun to get to record with him again. Because of all the amazing questions, we talk about a ton of really interesting stuff in this episode. We started off talking a little bit about my journey in fitness and how I became a trainer after my background in dancing. We also talk about what my clients have taught me. And how I deal with clients that don't necessarily do what I suggest, and I talk about the willingness to change and how that factors into people actually implementing changes in their lives. We talk a lot about nutrition in this episode and what a typical day of eating looks like for me. I touch on circadian rhythms and time-restricted eating. I also touch on the fact that we have a dehydration epidemic going on. We talk about nailing the basics of nutrition, and I give some good information about macros, quality proteins, greens, things like that, all things that I prioritize in my nutrition. We also talk about the importance of enjoying your food and sharing meals with other people. We also got a question about how you can understand and wrap your mind around your priorities in nutrition when they're different than your partner's. And this was something that I struggled with a lot earlier on in Eric and I's relationship, so I think that this was a really good question to answer because I know that a lot of people struggle with that. We also talked about how to know if you're over or under eating and all of the things that might factor into that. After our big section of nutrition questions, we moved on to talk just more about life And we talked about unwinding after a stressful day or week, unplugging from work. Eric and I talk about our relationship a little bit and how we survived a two and a half year long distance relationship and why we were really committed to making that work. Then we talk about our experience moving to a brand new country, a brand new city. And then we also talk a little bit about putting yourself first as opposed to just people pleasing all the time and how I've evolved my thinking in that. I'm gonna keep this intro short and sweet because you certainly hear a lot from me in this episode. I do a lot of talking. I hope you guys enjoy it. If this is a format that you like or if there are questions that you have that I didn't answer, please let me know. Please send those my way as Eric alludes to in the end of the episode. If we get a bunch more questions, then we can definitely do another one of these episodes down the road. Alright guys, I hope you enjoy this Q&A with me and Eric.
1: All right, we're going to do things a little differently this time, huh?
0: Yes, we are.
1: I'm in a different seat. You're in the comfy chair.
0: <laughs> I'm in the comfy chair, but it's the hot seat. It's the so. hot seat.
1: That's what we call it. Yeah, right, you are well, in
0: control here.
1: We're, we're going to do a, a mailbag here where a bunch of people have sent some questions in, and we're going to get some advice from you about your journey about your life and hopefully we can uh, teach the audience a little bit about your journey today. So let's start just a little bit about how you got into your role today as a, a trainer, a coach. What is it exactly that you call it?
0: Functional strength
1: coach. A functional strength coach. So how did you get started with that?
0: I was a dancer growing up and I spent a lot of hours dancing and moving my body and tuning into movement. So I had a lot of body awareness because of that. And then I also continued dancing in university. So one of my majors was contemporary dance. So movement has always been near and dear to my heart, but I didn't necessarily know how to move my body well. And what I mean by that is, I didn't understand the proper mechanics of movement, and I understood alignment in an artistic sense and a dancing sense, but not in a functional sense, so not in a way that really translated to good quality movement in life. I remember when I was in university, I'm sure you remember this. Isn't it funny how I call it university now? That's so can Canada rubbing off on me. College. <laughs> it's college, right? It, it
1: sounds so much more beautiful when you say university. It's
0: way more sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so when I was in college, but I had a lot of lower back pain. I was dealing with some knee pain, a lot of things that were injuries and were quite debilitating. I didn't know why they were happening.
1: Let me stop you yeah. really quick and ask you, when, when you were dancing, were you doing any type of strength training in the gym at that time or it was just dancing?
0: No, I was pretty foreign to the gym. Mm -hmm. I really only knew the studio. I did some yoga and Pilates i think i would randomly sometimes go for jogs because that was that's an easy and accessible way to find fitness but i definitely did not know much about strength training i remember the very first time that i got into the gym was with you but you wrote me up a little my very first little program that you pieced together from all obviously all of your years of being in the gym so that was my very first taste of it and i remember being very lost because it was such a foreign environment. And it's interesting when you walk in a gym, there's a little bit of a gym etiquette that if you've never been in that space and haven't grown up doing that, that it can be quite intimidating.
1: Yeah, I think we've all felt that way before, not really knowing what to do and sort of trying to figure it out as you go on.
0: It's not a great feeling. It's also not easy to create a habit when that's where you're starting, being so lost. So I think that that's one of my missions now as a trainer, jumping ahead a little bit, but that's definitely one of my missions is to empower women to know what to do in the gym and feel comfortable in that environment. It can be a very male-dominated space, but I want women to feel like they have a space in the gym and strength training is for them as well. So anyways, I graduated from college, degrees in neuroscience and dance, and minors in bio and chem and I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. Casual. Yeah, chill. I got a lot of degrees, but I didn't know what exactly was gonna come of those. I had a sense that I wanted to learn more. Um, I always talked about going back to school, which you know, which up to this point hasn't panned out, but I just knew that I was gonna continue learning, and that would hopefully lead to whatever I was gonna do next. It wasn't an end point for me when I graduated. But we came to Toronto. We didn't know anyone here. I didn't really have a community. I didn't have any friends here, obviously. And I remember you suggested that I try joining a gym, and I tried out some fitness classes, and that was what really started me on a, a journey to discover what role health and fitness were going to play in my life. And it was certainly a rocky journey. I feel like I made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of things wrong, but learned from them along the way. In the health and fitness world, there are so, there's so much misinformation, and it's so driven by fads and trends and quick fixes, and you see it all over social media and all over the internet. So I think I was very confused by those things. But slowly, I learned more, always interested in education, I found the the company that I'm currently at, All Day Fit, and I just kept learning how to tune into my body and learning how to discover what actually felt good, what actually made me feel good. You know, I was going on this fitness journey, didn't exactly know what I wanted my job and career to be. When we first moved to Toronto, I worked for TFC in their Department of High Performance. I worked on cognitive development for the academy, so that's a lot of big words, but basically TFC has youth programs. so they have a bunch of youth teams, and we were kind of looking into the cognitive side of sport. What aspects of someone's mind translate into them being better on the field? Can we test for those? Can we improve those? So it was a really cool job. I was obsessed with the concept, and it really fed well into my neuroscience background. But simultaneously, I was going on this this journey in fitness myself. And I just found myself in the place where I wanted so much to share what I was learning and discovering and ha- and the ways that it was making my life better, I wanted to share that with others. So training seemed to be the best way to do that.
1: The only thing I'll add to that, I think, when watching you and your journey through it, I think, what you learned a lot from your job with TFC was you were you were sitting on a desk a lot. And I think it seemed to me like you were sort of like a, a dog in a cage where you wanted to be out outside moving your body and, and being more active than you were inside. And I think that also probably appealed to you in a, in a big way.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love the gym environment. I also think that what I've learned about myself is that I'm not gonna be somebody that thrives in a nine to five work environment. I really like and thrive on being able to piece together a schedule with many different things and lots of stuff going on and moving from one thing to another. And you're right, moving my body, being in the gym, biking to the next place, like all of those things really make me feel good and make me feel alive. So yeah, I did feel cooped up in that situation.
1: Okay, here's an interesting question from Sam. We talk a lot about you being a coach and what you teach your clients, but vice versa. What, what do your clients teach you?
0: I genuinely believe that being a coach and being a trainer have made me a better person. I've learned so much. So there's this phenomenon where when you're sitting in front of someone and you're listening to, let's say, something's going on in their lives that they're trying to improve. When you're sitting in front of someone, you have this zoomed out view. And for me, it's relatively easy for me to pull out something that they can do to improve that situation. Just as an example, if they're insanely stressed at work, I can kind of look at what's going on with their fitness, what's going on at home, what's going on with their nutrition, are they sleeping, all these things. And I can pull out something that I'm like, I think this is going to make a big difference for you. So when you do that a lot, you actually start to reflect more on, wait a second, maybe I'm stressed out too and maybe I need to take my own advice a little bit more, Mm -hmm. right? So you know these things as a trainer, but then as you have these conversations with people and talk about implementing them in their lives, there's a reciprocal effect where you start to take on those things and you want to take on those things because you want to go through that with that client. In that way, I feel like in all aspects of my health, I've learned something from my clients. Also, just on a human level, I have had the opportunity to train very closely one-on-one with a lot of people that I probably would not have been close to otherwise. So all ages, coming from all different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different experience in the gym, just all of these different people, in developing these close relationships with them, I feel like I have genuinely learned something about life from all of them. So I'm so grateful for that because it's just an opportunity that I know that if I didn't have this job, I wouldn't have had otherwise.
1: It's interesting that when you teach somebody something, the self-reflection that comes from it also teaches you something. And obviously there's plenty of examples throughout your journey with that. This is another interesting question from Colleen. She asks, do you ever get frustrated with clients that don't follow through? And and how might you deal with that? So I'm I'm assuming like you give them homework or you ask them to do something in the gym and they don't do it. So Mm -hmm. how do you handle that?
0: So I've never had the experience where I'm literally in a training session and I ask someone to do something or try something and they look at me and say, no, I have not had that client yet. Thank goodness. But, you know, we talk about a lot of things that go on outside of the gym and these kinds of things that I will ask of people or I suggest to them because I know that they're gonna make a big difference in their training and in their lives and yeah it doesn't always happen so I don't know if I just have a really like high tolerance, but I rarely get frustrated with people because I know that if they're coming to the gym multiple times a week and training with me and putting in that effort, they're doing something to make their lives better. It's hard to get mad at someone for that. But of course there are things beyond the gym that don't always pan out. I think everybody has a certain level of willingness to change. If you could think about it on a scale of like one to 10, whereas one, they don't care at all. 10, they're like so committed. People fall all in that range for different things. If somebody's not at least like a seven or an eight, they're probably not implementing that change. And I personally, as a trainer, can be a talking head all I want at them and I can say it a thousand times, but if they're not there with me and meeting me there, it's not gonna happen. I will always keep saying those things, even if I get a sense that they're not ready to make the change. I'll always keep providing the information, hoping that at some point they'll be ready to receive it. The other thing is, sometimes you can hear something from one person, and then you go and hear it from another source and all of a sudden it clicks and mm. that light bulb goes off. Mm. So I also really like if something, if I come across something, whether it's a post or a podcast or I do a podcast or I hear from somebody or there's a book, I like to just sort of, if and it reminds me of a client, it happens often, I like to just sort of send that their way. Just say, hey, like... You might be interested in this. Sure. And maybe that different source of information will be the thing that helps them understand or makes them a little more inspired to actually implement that thing.
1: That's cool. Let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your nutrition. This is a question from Emily. She asks, what does a typical day of food look like for you?
0: I just read the book recently called The Circadian Code and it talks a lot about our circadian rhythms. Basically, every system in our body is on a clock, so this 24-hour clock, and it's dictated by the light and dark cycles that happen as the sun rises and sets. Every single organ in our body is ruled by a circadian rhythm. So that includes our digestive system. So one of the things that I've been implementing and that I really was inspired to implement because of this book is called time-restricted eating, When I get up, I don't eat right away because our body actually thrives on having a decent window of time where we're not having to digest food
1: so is, is this the same thing as intermittent fasting or is it different
0: it's a little bit different than intermittent fasting although it shares a lot of qualities you could be time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting but intermittent fasting can also refer to for example a 24-hour fast mm. time-restricted eating is not that time-restricted eating is something that you're doing daily mm. but a lot of people like to do what they call intermittent fasting and they'll only eat for eight hours a day that is time-restricted eating so in that way the the same Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's definitely one of the fads that you talked about today. Intermittent, is intermittent fasting. fasting. Is, yeah. So it's not something I do, but it's, it's something a lot of people have had sex. It's something a lot of people have had success. <laughs> <laughs> it's something a lot of a people lot of have had success with. Sex
0: with intermittent fasting. Maybe it increases your libido. Oh. I don't know actually.
1: It's something a lot of people have had success with, uh, <laughs> it, with losing weight and for other various reasons. So mm. it's interesting to hear. Your dad it. has yes exactly yeah
0: Yeah, i think it's good there's just so much research that says that it's good to give your body that break from digesting. Digesting takes a lot of energy, and so it doesn't allow your body to give the same amount of energy to other systems in your body. But the whole point of that was, I don't eat right when I get up. What I do do right when I get up is I have a big glass of room temperature water. I twist eight to 10 twists of sea salt or Mediterranean salt in the water, and then I squeeze half a lemon in there, and I chug that first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Why? 90 to 95% of humans are dehydrated. That's insane. And water is the most important thing that we can put in our body. So if you think about it, you've just spent a whole night without drinking water. One of the best things that you can do to just get things flowing is to drink water. The salt is similar. It's electrolytes, so it even further hydrates you. And the lemon, I just know that my naturopath has told me to do it. I I think it helps rev up your metabolism in some way in the morning. But anyway, so I do that in so the that, morning.
1: So that's first thing in the morning. So then yeah. breakfast, when, when you eventually do eat it, is it still breakfast food? or?
0: Yeah, because I like breakfast food a lot. Eggs so are your favorite. Yeah, I'll eat it at any time of the day.
1: Does that mean it's like lunch and breakfast all at the same time? Or... Some
0: days. The thing that you have to be careful about with time-restricted eating is or intermittent fasting is you have to make sure that you're still giving your body enough nutrients and enough calories in the window that you are eating sure my meals are pretty big or if i do happen to combine breakfast and lunch which i did today then i'll have a pretty hefty snack in the middle of the day before dinner as well it's almost like a third meal it might be a smoothie bowl or something so i'll have my first meal which is often eggs it might be Leftover protein from the day before, and I make a big old salad. I'm always making sure that I've got all my macronutrients in there, so a good balance of proteins, fats, and carbs. I love to always get something green on my plate. And then I'll have another meal or hefty snack in the middle of the day, in the afternoon, maybe post workout. And then we have dinner, which I don't know, what do we normally have for dinner?
1: Something amazingly new every day. <laughs> And we try to vary our proteins as much as possible, Mm -hmm. but as much different things as we can while still, again, maintaining our macronutrients, our veggies, our protein. Mm-hmm. And, and getting enough, as many calories as we need from the rigorous day that we both had.
0: Yeah, we both eat full plates of food for sure. We always prioritize high-quality proteins, like you said. What's
1: a high-quality protein?
0: High-quality protein is organic protein, grass-fed, free-range, no antibiotics. So all the buzzwords Ideally that local. everybody hears and yeah, talks about. Yeah, all the buzzwords, but they mean something. Mm-hmm. They are important. Those designations are important. Because
1: ultimately you're consuming what they consume as well, right?
0: Exactly, yeah yeah so If they're eating crap, that's going into their body, and those are the building blocks that are being used to build that animal's muscles, and that's what you're eating. Mm -hmm. So it matters. It's also really ideal to get local. So we go to the butcher around the corner for a lot of our meats, which I love. It's great quality, it tastes amazing. Yeah, and then my goal is always to stop eating by at least 8 p.m. And this has been one of the most important things for my sleep stopping eating at least two hours before bed and mm-hmm. i go to bed early so that means at least 8 p.m but as you've noticed in the past couple of months i've been trying to push dinner even earlier for us so if i could be done eating by 7 or 7 30 that's even better um, and i just tend to get higher quality sleep after that
1: interesting another question from colleen let's talk about balance so you talked about your day and what that looks like but Obviously, every day doesn't look the same, and some days you have different cravings than others. So how do you manage that balance in your nutrition?
0: You're right. This is tough because life gets crazy. People are busy. They're out and about. Maybe they're traveling. You can't always have perfect control over nutrition. One of the most important things is that when you have the opportunity, you make conscious choices about what you're going to be eating. Ideally, you're tuned in with your body enough to know what makes it feel good. So as much as possible, you're trying to make decisions that are gonna make your body feel good. When I'm looking at a client's current nutrition, one thing that I'm not gonna do, they might write down for me a couple of days of their their typical eating. Let's say I see 10 things that could be improved in their nutrition. I'm never gonna talk to them about all 10 things right away. I'm gonna pick one or two simple things that they can do that they can do consistently until they become a habit so i think that sometimes people get caught up in feeling like they need to completely overhaul their nutrition because maybe they're getting so much information from social media or podcasts or trainers talking at them or whatever it might be they're getting all this information and they're like oh well, i have to do this and, this and this and this and this and this and they just get so overwhelmed that they're not able to have any balance. It just is too much to handle. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's about choosing a couple of things that you can nail down. A great one is, are you drinking enough water? Are you getting a good balance of macronutrients with every meal? Maybe you just need to start there and you need to try to do that as much as you can with every meal. Understanding that it's not gonna happen every time because life happens, social situations happen, and that's okay, there should not, like I I never want anyone to feel guilty over ending up in one of those situations where they haven't exactly nailed their nutrition. What's the point of that? If you're walking around feeling guilty for what you've eaten in the past, you can't change it. All you can do is understand what happened and move forward.
1: That brings us to our next question from Priya. How do you find a happy place with eating, especially with social pressures all around us? So maybe at a social gathering where somebody's eating something that is not a part of your daily routine or your diet, if you want to call it that, but yet uh, you don't want to feel weird or different or something like that along those, in that situation.
0: Yeah, this is huge, especially in the summertime when people are out and about a lot more, we're eating out a lot more. Food is meant to be enjoyed. The times that you remember the most, the meals that you remember the most are the ones that are shared with people. Maybe it's shared with a glass of wine. Food is meant to be enjoyed in that way. So we can't get down on ourselves when we're out and about in a situation and we want to indulge a little bit. Now it's possible that if you're going out every single night and you're never cooking your dinners at home. That you're doing it too much and you're doing it so frequently that it's going to be detrimental to your body you're just not nourishing your body in the way that it needs to be nourished to be its healthiest so of course there's a balance there i have a history of disordered eating and struggling with restricting myself from certain foods and saying that i can't have certain foods and then that leading to some behavior swinging the other way and that i wasn't proud of I think that what I've learned is that in social situations, that's probably the time when you're going to indulge the most, but that's okay. Like, your body is so good at bouncing back from that, as long as it's not something that you're doing every single night. If you're doing it once a week, your body is going to be just fine, and maybe it's more important for you to have shared that moment with someone, or shared that time with friends, and maybe that's nourishing for your soul. Maybe the food that you're eating wasn't nourishing from your body, but you're nourishing yourself in a different way. So this is why I talk always talk about having to look at all of the pieces of the puzzle, because if we zero in too much on nutrition we might forget that those connections with people and improving our relationships is also a huge important part of our mental health and therefore our overall wellness.
1: Sure I think zooming out and thinking bigger picture I feel like if you have that social situation where you had a couple fries or you had a whole thing of fries right or whatever, <laughs> however much you wanted to have that night if it's not part of your daily routine and you Mm -hmm. can get back into your structure, then there's surely nothing to worry about.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Okay, here's an anonymous question. Those are my favorite questions. Oh, God. (laughs) How do you set boundaries uh, when they're different from your partner? Kind of like you and I, sometimes we have different dinners or different priorities in our dinners or different amounts of calories that we want to consume in our dinner. So... I think that's something that we've certainly learned over the past few years uh, on our own journey. And so um, if you can share with us a little bit about where we are now and, and how we've come to that place.
0: I remember when we first moved to Toronto, this was something that as I was kind of first learning about fitness and nutrition, this was something I struggled with a lot. I was very uncomfortable with watching you eat something let's say pizza that I love pizza is my favorite thing in the whole world so it's, it's everybody's favorite thing in the whole Isn't world Is it okay <laughs> <laughs> I don't know some people are pasta people uh, and some people are pizza people I'm I a feel pizza like. person yeah same <laughs> If I was watching you eat pizza, and at that point in time I probably decided that pizza was something that I couldn't have Like I had put that in the bad food category and something that I would have felt a lot of guilt over eating So I felt like I couldn't order that, so I would get myself the salad or whatever I perceived as the healthiest thing on the menu Or I would make myself something different if we were at home But I would have a lot of negative feelings as I was watching you eat it because I felt like it was something I couldn't have like I was mad about that so I don't know if you remember how like conflicting that was and how would used to like make comments well of course you can have fries I can't eat the fries Mm -hmm. or something like it was just it was a struggle for me at first as I've evolved my thinking around nutrition First of all, this is always a work in progress. But my goal for myself is to never have any foods that I can't eat. I can have everything, and if the if the situation arose, I could have the freaking deep fried Oreo or I don't know whatever's the worst thing in the world for you. Mm-hmm. I can have that, and that's okay. So, my mentality around what I can and can't have has changed a lot. But I've also just tuned into my body so much more that I understand so closely how good nourishing foods make me feel and make me able to move and think and love and all of those things. I feel myself when I eat the good things now that I actually genuinely if we were sitting down for a normal dinner on a normal weeknight right now and you were eating a bowl of macaroni and cheese I would look at that and i would be like i know that tastes good but holy crap i would feel like shit if i ate a whole bowl of mac and cheese for dinner so i don't even want to do it
1: so and there's so a piece for in you it. it's it's a lot about dialing into your own body and your own nutrition and finding out what works for you mm-hmm which allows you to leave the negative animosity that you might have towards your partner in this situation or the food that that your partner is eating in this situation to allow yourself to feel the strength to do something different and to eat something different and feel good about it.
0: Exactly. And just be at peace with doing what i genuine like it's very peaceful now because i just genuinely know that i'm making very intentional informed decisions and this when i sit down for dinner because i do all the cooking it is exactly what i want to be eating it takes time it takes a lot of time to get there
1: oh I-, I think all of this does yeah 100%. Um, but, but this is this is why you're helping everybody out there um understand because you've you've gone through a lot of these things Mm-hmm. This next question from Shannon is about over or under eating. How, how do you tell if you're over or under eating?
0: Yeah, this can be a really hard one for people. There are a couple parts to this. In the book, um, Intuitive Eating, which kind of lays out what it means to to be an intuitive eater, they talk about a scale, 1 to 10, where 1 is that, they call it primal hunger, but that level of hunger where you are just Famish, and you feel like you could stuff your face with anything that you saw if you opened the fridge. You know that level of hunger. Mm-hmm. We all do. We yeah. all do. Well, when Eric skips meals, then he really knows that hunger.
1: <laughs> I make mistakes like everybody else does in nutrition,
0: huh? I know. Um, and then 10 being that, like, holy shit, I could probably throw up right now because I'm so full, mm-hmm. right? So there's our scale. You never want to let yourself get to a one and you never want to let yourself get to a 10. I think we all know what those feel like. So your body's smart, right? You'll start to get pangs of hunger when you're at that level of three or four. When you start to get that little grumbly feeling in your stomach, maybe your energy's dropped a little bit. Like That's when you know that you should be looking for food and that you want to be eating. You want to eat to a point where you feel satisfied. You don't want to just eat to the point where, okay, well, I'm not hungry. It, that's not enough because then likely you're going to be searching for something else to eat 30 minutes later. What's the point of that? So you want to get to a point where you feel nice and satisfied. So maybe eat until like a six or a seven. So that's all great if we're very in tune and understand those signals of hunger and full in our bodies. The problem is a lot of us are so out of tune that we, we don't receive those signals. So we kind of just follow an eating schedule because we're supposed to be eating meals at certain times and maybe we're even eating the amount that someone else has dictated for us and we just kind of do that blindly and we don't actually tune in to what does it feel like to be hungry what does it feel like to be satisfied so that takes a lot of work and reflecting but there are also things that could be going on in your body that aren't allowing your body to send you the correct signals One example is if you're eating a lot of sugar, sugar causes cravings. Because there's literally a neurological addiction that goes on because we enjoy sugar so much. So if you have a lot of sugar in your diet, your blood sugar regulation's gonna be crazy, it's gonna be rising and plummeting, Mm -hmm. and your your hunger signals are just gonna be off. Like it could be your brain craving something instead of your body actually needing food. Mm The other thing is your hormones could be at a at a point where your leptin levels, which control your appetite, so if you're having hormone imbalances and some other hormonal issues, your leptin levels could be a little bit off as well, and then you're not going to get your hunger and full signals correctly. So the simplest, a, <laughs> so the simplest
1: solution to this is, is to listen to your body and to try mm-hmm. to eat when you're hungry and not eat when you're not hungry. Yeah. And to, to try your best to what maybe have a bar available to you in situations where you might be too busy to make a meal yeah and an understanding of your own nutrition of your own meal in front of you to stop eating when your body's telling you i don't need any more
0: exactly that's the ultimate goal for everyone right easier said than done it is it's totally easier said than done because everyone's coming from a different place in this and when we are in this cycle of disordered eating as well. We start to misunderstand, like we literally misunderstand when our body is actually hungry. A lot of girls undereat. I see it all the time. I would guess 80 to 90 percent of my clients are probably undereating and they don't know it. It's just because we live in a society that tells girls eat as little as possible. So those people, their body is probably a little bit hungry and undernourished all the time. But their body is going to get to a place where it's not constantly sending them aggressive hunger signals. It's kind of like your metabolism is revving down Mm -hmm. because of that. So there are a lot of things that could be going on that could be messing with this. If it's something I would say that you're really unsure about, because I think that this person that's asked this, this is something that she's struggled with, whether she's under or overeating for a while. I think that going to your naturopath and understanding how are your hormones, how are your hormone levels, is a great idea. And then beyond that, working with a holistic nutritionist, somebody that can help walk you through the steps of what does it really mean to tune in in a way that you might not be able to do by yourself.
1: Awesome. Okay, let's move to our final category uh, of questions. And these are more just in general about your life and, and the lifestyle that you live. Fun. The first question is from Morgan. <laughs> and she asks, how do you unwind after a stressful day or a stressful week?
0: I think everybody, everybody has their vices, sure. right? I think it's just an innate human thing That humans have their vices and we need to unwind in certain ways. I'm obsessed with drinking a glass of wine while I make dinner. That's like a go-to for me after a stressful day. Although what I found, what I will say about that, I used to drink wine with or after dinner and i found that it actually doesn't mess with my sleep or my recovery the next day if i drink a glass of wine like while i'm making dinner and then i don't drink any with or after dinner so that's been kind of my little hack there but other than that hanging out with you Mm -hmm. is my favorite i love taking molly to the park especially when i don't have anywhere to be and we can just kind of be in that nice peaceful state together yeah i think yeah to
1: echo that i think obviously those are the things you do and I think that there you can tell your stress levels start to go down once you Mm -hmm. can get away from it all but another thing you do that a lot of people can take after is is putting your phone away a lot of us we have a lot of our work and on our phone and so what happens is is we bring our work home with us with Mm -hmm. our phone and so something you've done and you've experimented with was is keeping your phone away from you from dinner when you're watching a show Mm -hmm. all these things and that allows your mind and your body to actually rest and mm. tell yourself that the day is over, that the work day is over, and now it's time to, to really relax and, and get ready for the next day because that next day is coming before you know it.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I have been really consistent with that. I just never had my phone at the dinner table. That's my time to like disconnect from it and just be with you and share that meal. I think one of the things that has helped me with this, this sort of mentality, is you only have so much energy and mind power to give throughout the day. So if we think of it as a battery, right? We have a battery life each day of really good, productive, efficient work that we can give. When that battery starts to run really low, it's like the law of diminishing returns. If at 7 p.m. I was gonna sit down and try to do something for work, and I've just worked all day, and my brain's been on all day, I might get done five minutes of work in 20 minutes because I my battery is just low. So I think understanding that and understanding that it's more valuable to me to just put it away and rest and focus on other things has been really helpful in, in not feeling like I always need to be doing work because it's not even going to be productive at that point.
1: Yeah, that's great advice, I think. Okay, this next question from Jess is a little bit about your journey to Toronto and some of it and with our relationship she asked what was long distance like in your relationship and uh, what was it like to move to another country and sort of start a whole new life after college I I can be the first to say you you weren't thrilled about it at the time (laughs) (laughs) but I think once you got here and realized what an incredible city it is and how many opportunities there were available to you and really just uh, a hidden gem that most people don't know about where more, we're from,
0: at least. They don't know about it. Sure. Yet. I don't think yeah.
1: in, in the United States, yeah. I think around the world, it's an incredibly underrated city.
0: Drake is putting it on the map, though. So. It is and the Raptors m- now. And so.
1: and Toronto FC, also, <laughs> when we won a championship <laughs> right. that people tend to forget about. But
0: <laughs> Any- Wait, wasn't the Raptors win the first championship that the city's yeah. won? <laughs>
1: a little inside joke there for everybody. <laughs> but anyway, what what was it like for, uh, for you with long distance? Because we did do long distance for... Mm-hmm. Uh, two, and a, a half years. two and a half years. Wow. It all culminated with you moving here and yeah. um, Everything that happened after that.
0: Well long distance sucked. Mm-hmm. It was hard. I think it taught us a lot. It made our relationship more serious early on because Holy shit, if you're gonna be long distance for two and a half years, you're either all in or you're all out Like you're not just messing around So I think that we were both just very all in from the beginning And luckily, I did get to spend summers with you. So that was really helpful. Yeah, I
1: think that that's an important thing that you said, because with long distance relationships, you're always looking for your next visit or looking Mm -hmm. forward to your next visit so that you have something that you can strive towards. And I think a lot of it for us was that next time you got to come out and visit or I was able to get back home or you were able to come out for the summers. We always had something to look forward to, which I think propelled us to allow us to stay on the path that we were on and, and stick together.
0: We always tried to make sure it wasn't more than six weeks mm-hmm. when we saw each other. I think one time we did eight and it sucked and we were like, okay, that was too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always had that, you're right, the next time and it had to be within six weeks. And then we also were really good about, I well, I think I learned a lot about communication from that because... You weren't there to see what was going on in school, what was going on with my life, what I was doing in dance to see the dance show, whatever. You weren't there for that. So I had to tell you about it so that you could continue to feel like you were a part of my life. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn to talk about those things and always be, you know, sharing with you and communication with you. And then we also had our dates, our FaceTime dates. It wasn't even FaceTime. It It was was Skype. Skype and. This was
1: before the days of FaceTime, really. I think now it's a little bit easier for people to pick up the phone. Mm and.
0: Yeah, we had to get on the computer. You know how
1: much I love FaceTime, so I'll hop on FaceTime (laughs) even if I saw you a couple hours ago. But there's no replicating seeing each other in person. But there are certainly ways that we got through it.
0: We moved to Toronto, and you're right. I was not pumped about it. I Mm -hmm. think I cried because I just didn't know. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to work here. So that was the scariest part for me. I think the first year was really challenging, especially on my mental health, and I just felt a little bit lost in what the next step was. But I never questioned my decision because I knew that no matter what, i wanted my life to be with you Mm. and i wanted i knew that the rest could fall into place and it's interesting because i am a very like i was very academic and i am a very driven person but there was just something in my soul that knew that my life was going to be with you And I was pretty lost for the first couple years of being in Toronto and not having, you know, I've since found a community through fitness and through All Day Fit, which has been unbelievable and life-changing, but I didn't have that at first. So it was really hard. And, you know, I thought I wanted to go back to school, but then instability of your job, I didn't feel like I could commit to it. So I never did and blah, 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 blah. But I don't regret it for a second Mm. because it's all been so worth it because of the life that we've been able to build together and where we are now. And I am so happy in what I do now. And I think I've just learned so much from each one of those situations that we had to go through and all of those hardships and, you know, me not having any friends and just being like, come on, let's go out. And you just having to like take me out with your friends. And, you know, it was, it was weird and it was hard at first. But. So,
1: for sure. So what, what advice would you give somebody else or even your 20, 21-year-old self? about moving to a new city and sort of trying to create your own life, obviously with a partner, but ultimately you have your own life outside of a partner. So what advice Mm. would you give to somebody that was making that same transition?
0: Be open. It's not something that I've historically been good at, but be open to any people, situations, opportunities that come your way and put out as much good energy as possible.
1: Because that good energy is coming back your way.
0: It does. Mm. It really does. I think I spent a year not putting out good energy and feeling a little bit lost and confused and not open to people and experiences. And that changed. And now it's like, I can't write the script for what's coming next. Every opportunity that's come up, including podcasting, like every next thing of my journey, I haven't planned for. It just... I just felt open to whatever was next and learning and being with people that made me feel good and making other people feel good. And then it's just happened. Mm -hmm. So just openness and understanding that changes are good and they make you grow.
1: Awesome. Okay. We've got time for a couple more questions. This question is from Jo. She asked, what's your advice for knowing when to enjoy a moment and dive into things versus when to take a step back and take care of yourself? Sometimes saying no can be disappointing to others. How do you handle that?
0: This is a tough one. Joe and I have talked about this a little bit. You always, always, always in life, this is one thing I've learned that I did not always do, but you always have to put yourself first. You have to feel in a good place you have to feel energized by something the minute that you do something out of obligation or because you feel like someone told you it's the right thing to do or you're just being a yes man or stretching yourself too thin or whatever the minute that you do that you're not showing up as your best self to that thing i'm definitely a people pleaser I struggle to say no to things and to say no to people and I don't like to let people down. But what I realized was if I know that I'm not gonna show up with my whole heart there and it's not going to bring me something as well, then I'm just not gonna be my best self being there, so it's almost pointless. This not pointless, but you know, it's not as it's not as good to be to just be stretching yourself thin and not be fully present in those things that you are doing.
1: It reminds me of the question we talked about with nutrition, with with setting boundaries and nutrition between two partners, right? It's a lot about tuning into yourself and what your needs are Mm -hmm. and acting off of those as opposed to the needs of others. And so as simplified as nutrition can be and how you know that a Snickers might make your body not feel good, whereas spinach or kale or something like that might, going to an event may not make you feel good and staying home and watching the bachelor on mondays might make you feel good so it reminds that's me of that. that's always a feel good it's activity. always a feel good it reminds me of that and i think it's a, a good way to think about it mm-hmm. because physical health and mental health have a lot of similar ties and
0: yeah know. i think there's a theme emerging here for sure. sure you're right
1: okay a couple more this one's from elena she asks a deep question are you oh, ready
0: God. <laughs> i don't know <laughs>
1: What At you the mo- end, of course. What are you most proud of in your life so far?
0: Marrying you.
1: Wow. No, but really. Nah, I'm just <laughs> kidding.
0: <laughs> the relationship that we have and that we've built, and mm. how we've grown as people separately, and therefore how it's made our relationship stronger. I think we had this conversation a couple months ago, but it's. It's crazy, like, marriage is a crazy gamble. We've already changed so much in the, what, two and a half years that we've been married. Mm-hmm. We're like different people. Mm-hmm. So, lucky us that we married someone that was going to grow and get better, and that we were going to be good enough to communicate about it and do it together. I'd Did argue- I Did we for sure know that was going to happen when we got married? Like, I don't know. I'd argue
1: it's, it's not luck. I think mm-hmm. as different as we are as people, there was something that we saw in each other's heart that we knew... That we'd be able to grow together or at least we thought
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: and you're right i'm a different person you're a different person but as much as we've grown and adapted to the lives that we continued to have separately we've also done that together and that's an incredibly difficult but also incredibly important part of of any relationship as we've learned so far and we'll continue to have to do for a lot more years mm-hmm. than just two and a half <laughs>
0: Well, that's why I'm proud because, especially by Toronto standards, we got married young. Sure. And I'm just proud of the life that we're creating and that I feel so confident we're going to continue to create and, you know, how we care for Molly and our house. And and it's, it's funny. If you, like, when you first met me, I never would have said that something I was proud of was, like, a relationship. Like, it would have 100% been something, like, really academic More. or you know, an achievement or something. But I just, I feel like my priorities in the last couple of years have just shifted so much. That's just like the most important thing to me now. It shows
1: your growth. Okay, final question, and this one's from me. Okay. <laughs> what makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning?
0: You took my question!
1: <laughs> <laughs> you ask everybody that oh question. My God, so my I do. And classic role reversal, you have to answer it for everybody else.
0: Okay. I think... Making a concerted effort and knowing that I'm being purposeful about living my best life makes me excited to do the day. Mm. And that's most days. Not all I don't like hop out of bed all days and be like, "I'm gonna be my best self today, but a lot of days I, I get up and I I know that I'm creating habits and I have an intent that I'm gonna be better today than I was yesterday. Just a tiny bit. And that can be in anything. I'm I'm constantly learning. I'm, you know, obsessed with information and trying to take that and implement it in my life. And it's it's in all aspects. It's not just about fitness and it's not just about nutrition. It's it's about all of it. And I just I don't know. It makes me excited for more time to go by, so I can keep learning and implementing more shit. Mm -hmm. You know.
1: I think that's a great way to look at it. All right. Thank you, everybody who. Ask questions today. Uh, There were a lot of good questions. I wish we could have got to everybody's, but maybe we'll do this again sometime and we'll answer some more questions. Mm
0: -hmm. Thanks for hosting. You're welcome. You nailed it. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week, guys. I would love to hear what you thought of that episode format and if you have any further questions about anything that we talked about. Also, please send more questions. Anything that you're wondering about my way, I'd love to do another one of these at some point. Remember, we release a new episode of How Do You Feel every Monday morning, so make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss one of those episodes. If you want to follow along with me, you can find me on Instagram at KCMZav, or you can check out the podcast website, HowDoYouFeelPodcast.com. If there was anything in this episode or in a past episode that you think one of your friends and family could benefit from hearing, I would be so grateful if you could share this show with them. Referrals are an amazing way to spread the word about the podcast. All right, guys, I think that's all I have for you this week. Remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.